Well, hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. Uh, I'm Ben. That's Josh. I'm Josh. Really glad that you're here. Uh, What we like to do is before we jump into kind of what we talked about, and as always, we want to encourage you um, to start with the weekend message. If you haven't listened or watched that, always start there and then please feel free to interact with us live with any questions, or you can email us before or even text us. We get those questions. But before we jump into kind of that recap, as we look deeper into what we talked about, um, what I want to just let you know about is our disc golf. Yeah. So we've talked about it a couple different times, just kind of letting you know that it was close to being completed. It's still pretty much, it is complete done the signs are up. for the signs. The signs are up. The, the signs, signs are up. Are up. Okay, signs so are up. I think signs we're going to be adding some more stuff, but all the signs are up at yeah. each hole. Yep. So we want to encourage you to come check it out. So if there is this website called udisc.com where it gives you like ways that you can kind of be a part of it. We've got a pretty good review on that website. Yes. yes. Well, we would love for you to come check it out. Let us know what you think. If you don't have discs or if you're like me and you thought that it was just with one Frisbee, That's generally not how it's done. It's done with a disc, not a Frisbee. You will be made fun of. You won't be made fun of. It's actually a very friendly group of people out there. Except they told me that I would be made fun of if I said Frisbee. But whatever. They are a great group of people. If you are looking for discs inside the big yellow mug, on top of there's kind of a fireplace over by the counter. If you look, there are several discs there that if you just want to borrow some, see if it's something that you're interested in. There's different kinds. There's like a driver, there's a mid-range driver, and then putter. Yeah, so get a driver and a putter, probably, yeah. yeah. You can try out the course, see if it's something that you like before you, you know, if you're thinking about investing money in discs or something, you can check it out for free. Just return them when you're Mm -hmm. done, and that's a great way to check Yeah, tell your neighbors about it completely free. The course is free, available all the time, so... Yeah, Duffy Sample and his group of volunteers have been fantastic, and we've been blown away by seeing the amount of people We're talking that are coming about, out for it. There's been more than a thousand people that have played this thing, and we it's haven't really said, "Hey, we're open." Like it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. I, I don't think so. that there's a, a single time that I've come to the church, except for when it was yeah. like 30 mile an hour winds, yeah. um, that there haven't been people walking the grounds and facilities. Yeah. So. Come check it out. And if you're not a disc golf player, come walk the course. Check it out. You can see it and pray over it. Seriously, would you ask the Lord to make this holy ground and that people uh, would turn here because it's the last place they felt loved in the middle of whatever they got going on and uh, seek some counsel and comfort and community. We'd love to be that for them. So come pray. Ask the Lord to have his way. You can do that. Be a good place to walk and hike or come sit in the parking lot and just pray over the cars. Whatever it is, just come on. Let's see what God is doing with this thing that is just... Far beyond exceeded our expectations. Yeah, so far. absolutely. Yep. It's yeah. been it's been incredible. So yeah, so we'd encourage you to be a part of that. If you're interested, let us know if you have any questions. But with that, we'll go ahead and jump into uh, this past week. So we were in week two of a brand new series that's called "I'm In." And do you want to kind of give us a recap, and then we'll kind of jump? Yeah, into yeah. Discussion? So I'm in all about just that, convincing you you should be in. Now this is your best option, and it's the most glorious option, and the one that brings you the most joy and peace and hope, and allows you to see the work of the Spirit in your life and around you. And so I wholeheartedly believe, and I'm always real cautious with these things because I don't want to overhype things all the time. and go, This is going to be the best Sunday ever. This is going to be the best series ever. But I do think this is going to be our best season ever. And wholeheartedly believe that God's at work doing a pretty supernatural movement in your life, my life, definitely my life. I'll tell you that right now. But in the life of our church, in our community, and I hope in our nation. And 
what I'm hoping we're going to see is just a lot of hearts and a lot of souls turn their attention and affection back towards Jesus. And I, this wouldn't be the first time it happened throughout centuries. It's happened, and there's been great moves of God. And there's this guy named Steve Addison who's kind of chronicled different movements of God and kind of highlighted some of the things they all have in common. And one of them is that there's this white hot faith that they had this that people really had a supernatural experience where they believe that Jesus is real and Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior and that Jesus literally rose from the dead, right? And they believe that, they wholeheartedly believe it to the point where they're completely number two, committed to the cause, like really committed to it all in, I'm in type of commitment. The third one is contagious relationships. That what was built in these movements of people who really, really loved each other well. By the way, there's a lot of people that probably might not be looking for God right now, but they are looking for human connection. And I think the church is a place that should have contagious relationships and be inclusive of people. Fourth one is rapid mobilization. What they saw throughout history is just these movements that didn't make a lot of sense, that could not be controlled, could not be contained, and were far beyond you know the work of a pastor or a staff and out into the community and world and so I think that's what God is preparing us for and finally just adaptive methods where they held their traditions really loosely held the gospel really tightly and so each week we're just kind of looking at some of those different components so last week we looked at white hot faith and this past Sunday really is pretty neat is going we're just reading the scriptures and talking about them but what we see is this real call to a commitment to a cause in fact Jesus tells us the uh, you know, die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That's a pretty significant investment. That's really saying get all the way into the fire, like lean all the way in, and I think it's time for all of us to do that. So we're just looking at the passages and making some observations. So there's this weird big idea that I shared, and it was this, different uh, tank, different breath, different life, different death. In other words, there's this idea that maybe, maybe, maybe we've been breathing the wrong oxygen into our lungs you know, the, the scriptures talk a lot about breath. So, so intriguing. Psychologists are so intrigued by breath. You know, breath is such an important part of it. Literally, we are breathing life every time we breathe. We're breathing in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide. Our breath out, the waste of our breath is actually breathing life into plants. I mean, it's just, it is so crazy to think about. And throughout the scriptures, the word breath kind of represents what, what God breathed into humans into society. The Holy Spirit is get, is referred to as this breath. The word life comes from the word suke in the scriptures, which is the word we get psychology, which means breath. There's just something about that. And so when I, when I pose, what I think is the case is that we have been filling our life from the wrong tank. We've been breathing in, you know, progress. We've been breathing in, you know, uh, our own, you know, superficial identity. We've been breathing in power, breathing in wealth, and it actually has not given us the life that we've wanted. And Jesus makes a really good conclusion to this. He says, what good does it do to try to gain that life and breathe in that stuff and forfeit your own self? And so the compelled challenge you to lean all the way in, take up your cross, follow him, start breathing from a different tank, breathing God's breath into our lungs and inviting him into every part of us and writing a spirit. So that's what we covered. And I imagine we'll go more in depth on that today because Jesus says some things like whoever tries to gain their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will gain it. Yeah. And so uh, we, we're going to put a little bit more uh, clarity around those thoughts today as we work through it. So 
Thanks yeah, for joining us. I, I did want to ask a question. One of the things that you kind of started this week with was um, kind of an announcement, some of the changes that we are doing within the balcony. But I would say even more than that, it was kind of a talking about unity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. I, and I wasn't sure if it's just kind of the changes that we're doing in the balcony that created that desire to talk about unity or more of <laughs> in response to what we're seeing within our culture and how it seems like we're, you know, everyone's further divided. You're yeah, either yeah. right or you're left. And that ground in the middle seems to be shrinking because you're either one island or the other. Yeah, thanks for asking. And I didn't know you were going to ask. Really, really glad you did. And I'll be very, very candid here. Um, God didn't call me to pastor America. Hmm. didn't call me to pastor you know, the state of Pennsylvania, he called me to pastor this church. Yeah. And so really brought this up is our church family, right? This yeah. family that we say we love each other and I certainly believe it. But some of the banter and dialogue that I'm seeing in terms of the interactions within our own church family as it relates to politics or relates to racism or as it relates to masks. Like it's just, it's really pretty significant and Candidly, a lot of the conversation and dialogue I'm seeing within our church looks a lot like the conversation and dialogue outside the church. So it really is like, oh, God, thanks so much for allowing us to have this conversation as it relates to mass. But let's also yeah. talk to, about it as it relates to you know, social justice issues and racial inequality issues. And, you know, man, like there are a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different experiences. Yeah. And that is a good thing. That is not a bad thing. Like So when you look at the scriptures, God does take a diverse group of people. By the way, that's why I am so wholeheartedly committed to marriage between a man and a woman. It's not because I want to be a bigot or, you know, exclusive. It's that the purpose of marriage, and I didn't even talk about this on Thursday night or on Sunday. Uh, the purpose of marriage isn't, I said this part, isn't to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to help us become who we're supposed to be. But when you read in the scriptures, what God says that marriage does is not just so you can have, you know, some sexual satisfaction. It's not even just to procreate. Those are really nice, you know, tertiary or secondary options. But the purpose of marriage is actually to take two unique individuals, pierced one, piercing one. It's kind of the raw term of the Hebrew. And bring them together so that they can be unified. The purpose of marriage is unity. Yeah. And so the scriptures say that God takes a diverse group of people and allows them to be unified. And out of that unity comes this maturity. Mm -hmm. That we only mature it through unity, and the only way you can get unity is out of diversity. You can't get unity out of sameness. That's why when we when I hold up marriage and go, "Hey, we have a real biblical conviction about marriage." It's not it. It's purely because you read the scriptures, you go, "Marriage is about unity. Yeah. It's about unity." So let's take two different people to and watch God do something supernatural, metamorphical, or whatever it is, between two distinct people and making them what it says is one flesh. And then he gives us the church. He says that he gave us a diverse group of people. He actually you know, qualifies that. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's a diverse group with diverse opinions, diverse perspectives, diverse experiences, diverse political leanings, right? And it takes them, and he takes that group, and he he puts them together to the, equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we can be unified. Yeah. Unity comes from diversity. And unity produces maturity. And as we mature, yeah. it says we grow into the fullness of Christ, which is, by the way, what our world needs. Yeah. Christians filled with God's grace and love and mercy and his spirit 
walking around, allowing the overflow of that breath of God's Spirit into us to exhale that into our world. And so, yeah, it's kind of all the same. And it just mass just became part yeah. of the conversation. It's, ah, we got a spectrum of people. Praise God. Yeah. Let's identify the spectrum of people. Let's point out that it's a diverse group. Let's celebrate the diversity and go, but God still calls us to be unified, right? right. And it's interesting that we're really talking about breathing and breath, yeah. as many of us have had some... Uh, you have lots of experiences on mass. None of you are like, I love breathing in through a mass. Some of you are going, hey, I think it's the next right step. It's the most appropriate step. It's an honoring step. All those kind of things. But we all would agree that it limits our ability to breathe in and breathe out. And so here we are going, how do we best breathe in God's spirit? And I'm not saying with a mask or without a mask. We got some options for you either way. Upstairs in the balcony this week. If you, Yeah, uh, yeah I guess that's something we could have promoted. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't even think about it. Like I so said, that starts this week. Upstairs, you can bring your mask where? throughout the building when you get up the stairs of the balcony you can drink your coffee take your mask off breathe in and breathe out and worship with us as we take a you know diverse group so we're going to continue to celebrate our diversity by the way the church should not all look the same think the same be educated the same and so part of what we got to figure out is how do we continue to include voices that sound so much different than the ones in your echo chamber yeah. really really good that's how you're going to grow up so really was thankful that the Lord gave yeah. us this opportunity to talk about yeah. it yeah I feel like one of the uh, former pastors here used to say it at weddings all the time. I loved when he said it. And it just, as you were talking about marriage, it made me think of it. He said, you know, God's greatest kind of gift is he puts two uniquely different people together and says, figure it out, like for the rest of life, figure it out. And in a sense, that's exactly what the church is to be as well. Like different opinions, different thoughts, different ideas, different philosophies. But God wants us to be unified together so that we can be about his purpose and his cause. See, I'm not that eloquent. I always go, you know, marriage is basically both people taking all their dirty laundry and dumping it on the same bed and then mixing it up and going, okay, here we go. Who's cleaning up this mess? Yeah. You know, yeah. Not, so not I, I do want to jump into um, kind of those five different um, movements that you yeah, talked yeah. about. And I do want to get to a couple questions. There's uh, two questions at least, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe even more than that, um, from a couple different listeners that were asking specifically it's not too late to comment on clcfamily.online.church. Yeah. If, if you're or... live, which I know we've got several people here that are live with us. So if you've got a question, feel free to let us know what that question is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to ask about those five kind of movements. So um, I forget what you said his last name was, but it was Steve. Steve Addison, A D D I S O N. He wrote a book called Movements. Yeah. So. Okay. And so he highlighted the kind of what you see as God yeah. moved. Here's five specific yeah. things. So and that's uh, a biblical. They're just the yeah. scriptures that happen to fall in the scriptures. So I said, oh, it's kind of neat to talk about. And, and I I've think been you, studying this for months. And yeah. So just, and you've already kind of read yeah. read through them. You've heard them on Sunday. Yeah. I just didn't. I, I guess my question becomes like, I don't know if there's more to talk about or. Not. Just in general, if I'm listening to that and my question becomes, well, I I want God to move. How do I begin to, I don't know if this is the right word because it's not necessarily about us, but how do we begin to facilitate those things in our lives? It's so broken. and I I might get in trouble for this one day because it it sincerely is not orthodoxy. It's not usually the things that you preach about. You keep telling people to keep praying the prayers and reading the scriptures. And I think all that is really, really helpful. But I... This is brand new to me, and someone actually asked me this week, what book are you reading on this? I'm not. I'm just, God told me to teach through the book of Luke, and so I'm just opening up and reading from it and making some observations. And so you're not going to hear that kind of language of first you hear about it, then you think about it, then you speak about it, then you bring about it. But I see it over and over again, so it probably falls outside the realm of, you know, traditional orthodoxy of how the church works. Now, I think it's 
completely biblical. I, right. I think you all know me well enough to know that I love the Bible, want to teach it, want Jesus to be your senior pastor, not me, want his opinions to be the ones that are shared and led through, not his opinions, his facts, right? Um, but in all that, I do think it really is that. I think the way that it happens is you first hear about it. I know this because it tells us in Romans that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes to the word of Christ. And Jesus actually talks about this through Paul and says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. When you see the interaction between, I think it's Stephen, is it Stephen or Philip? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Philip, Philip yeah, Philip. And this guy's reading from the book scroll of Isaiah and he's reading it and, and Philip just pops in next to his chariot and goes, Do you know what you're reading? And he goes, How will I know this unless someone teaches me? There's just something about that. Then so he explains to him. What does Philip do? I mean the eunuch, he becomes a Christ follower and he gets baptized right there. Boom, it's done. And so what we see is there's this this the word of Christ goes out. Hearing comes in the Faith comes from hearing, hearing comes from the word of Christ. So I do think if you're going, I really, 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 really want this to be real in my life, and you've heard about it and heard about it and heard about it, and now you're thinking about it, I think it's just time to speak it out loud. Look in the mirror and remind yourself that the spirit of the living God dwells within you, that he is with you, he loves you, and he has a plan for you over and over again. And don't just speak it to yourself. Start talking about Jesus like he's a real person. You know why? Because he's a real person. I start talking about him. Because as you even see, and we talked about this last night in this discipleship class, I was teaching that when it says to go and make disciples, that term literally means three different things. Sometimes it means to make, like as in to produce, or it's an action word, to make a disciple. Other times it literally just means to be a disciple, meaning allow Jesus to 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 give you your identity. And other times it means to become a disciple, meaning do something you got to learn and know. And so... What I, what, I, what I take from that is discipleship isn't just about knowing or just about sitting. It's about knowing, sitting, and doing. And so I don't know which one you're missing out on. Maybe all you're doing is doing and actually haven't sat still long enough to really know God and be loved by God. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've been sitting still forever and going, well, I think this, I think this, but I don't actually experience it. Well, I think the way by which you'll experience it is actually to participate in it. And what I have found you really, really, really want to grow with Christ. Remember how we grow up in that. We just talked about it. How do you get mature? How do you get mature? There's actually only one way. It's through unity. How do you get unity? From community. Mm-hmm. So, long answer to a very short question is you got to start speaking these things out loud to yourself. And you got to start showing up in community. You can do it. We can help. Be happy to help you with it. But you don't actually need us to find community. You already have community around you. You have people. You have family. Invite them into it and start speaking about God and trying to figure out how much God loves you and opening up the scriptures and going, I don't know what these mean. Lord, would you teach them to me? You can do all those things right now. Find a diverse group of people. Lean in together. Allow God to unify you and then mature you so that you and I and all of us can experience the fullness of Christ. Yeah. So I think I feel like that's why you continue to bring it up, to hear about it, think yeah. about it, speak about it, bring it about it. Feeds into everything that we're talking about. I, I would agree. I feel like it just continues to pop up. And it's so that. weird. It's not anything I learned, and it still seems weird. But I'm like, yeah. the more I talk about God's goodness and favor, the more I see it. Yeah. I don't think it's because he wasn't doing it before. I just don't right, think I was right. paying any attention to it. So there's just something about my antenna. I have just come up and I started declaring these things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump into the text. Yeah. And uh, the questions that we have are kind of surrounding 
923, which is uh, one of my favorite verses. It was honestly, it was a mentor of mine. They had this as one of their favorite verses. It's a favorite because it's a challenge. Like, I don't think that it comes easy, but it's a reminder of what I need to do. Um, So I want to get to 923. But before we do that, um, we'll start at 18 where we kind of picked up um, at the start of this week's message. And it says this. um, It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked, who did the crowd say that I am? You had kind of parked a little bit on the, the fact that Jesus was praying alone. Was there anything more that you wanted to add to that that you couldn't get to on Sunday? Yeah, there's a lot I want to cover. It was interesting because Luke wants you to know that the disciples are with him, but they're not praying with Jesus. Like they're praying alone. And I started thinking about this and going, these are some ragamuffins, right? Like they they are a mess. Like these aren't guys who grew up in the synagogue. They're yeah. fishermen. Maybe they had a little bit of Hebrew school. They probably got kicked out because they all did at a certain age because they just yeah. weren't smart enough. They didn't get included. And so like prayer is probably not a normal part of their life. Mm. Maybe it's not something they ever experienced. Like, I, I think about this now. And, I mean, we have kids growing up who have no idea what prayer is. No, yeah. So I don't even know. Like, I don't know if he's just sitting over there by himself and all the guys are like, hey, what's he doing? Is he sleeping? Like, like I don't I don't know. It's just so random. It looks like moving. he's praying. He's moving his lips. He's nodding his head. And he's praying alone. And they're all sitting over there, which is fine. I mean, I think it's good to pray alone. I probably created a little bit of an awkward moment, which, by the way, Jesus doesn't seem to mind, so we shouldn't as well. So I just think there's that. And then you read throughout the scriptures, and, you know, like, uh, there's some scholars that would say that the gospel of Luke, it could be called the gospel of the Holy Spirit because you just see that movement of the Holy Spirit so much in the gospel of Luke, and Luke seems to highlight it. But one of the other things it seems to highlight often is the progression from prayer to supernatural movements, right? And so what we see here, and I couldn't include it all this week, Jesus prays, he gives some tough teaching, and then a few of his disciples see this supernatural moment where they see God in all of his glory in the transfiguration. You'll hear about it this week. And so um, so I think it's just that. I think it just goes, hey, it certainly seems like all these crazy movements, they all kind of get initiated with, prayer. And so I go back and go, yeah, I can tell you about the five different components. But I would say that those five components, the way that you hit the ignition switch Mm -hmm. is actually prayer. Go back and look at the history of our world. Revivals happen because of repentance, right? And prayer. So I just would go, yeah, I think that's really important that if you're wanting to grow, wanting to do those things, we got to stumble through how awkward it is to pray if we don't know how to pray. And some of that is just sitting still alone. That's what the Lord's telling me right now. I'll say, Josh, you're doing a lot of learning, but you're not doing a lot of listening. You're doing a lot of searching, but you're not doing a lot of sitting. And so it's just some things that I think he's telling me personally as well. So yeah, probably for all of us. Yeah, That's good. So uh, verse 18, Jesus asks a very unique question. Who do the crowd say that I am? And then 19 is kind of the response. I'll just read through yeah. through 20. It says, and they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah. Nope, wrong. And others, uh, one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Here's very two unique questions. Like Jesus isn't having, I don't believe Jesus is having an identity crisis at this point. I guess, and this is probably more speculation than anything. Why is Jesus asking these questions to the disciples at this point? Like what? What is he? Is he driving at something? Is he I think trying so. to like allow them to see and understand something? Yeah. So I, let's think about the progression. He asks this question, then he offers some really hard teaching. Yeah. About I think the question, right? And so, what? Uh, who do you say I am? Versus yeah. who do they say I am? Because you got some decisions to make. This is mm-hmm. that's why I really love the idea. Oh, this really is the committed to a cause piece. Let's see how they lean in because now yeah. he's going to give them some really hard teaching, and he's going to say that you're 
job at this point is to take up your cross, to deny yourself and yeah. follow me. So he is basically declaring that he alone is enough, mm. that nothing else matters compared to him. Like this is an, an all-in statement when you get to it. And so in this moment, when he's asking that, he's waiting to hear their answer, and then he's giving them the therefore. Yeah. So this is all about if you really, really believe this, right? This is what you would do. Okay, you've said that I'm the Christ. I'm the promised one. You can't say that I'm just the one who gets you out of hell. can't say that I'm just the one who gets you out of, gets you into heaven or gets you out of your nasty marriage or into a better marriage, whatever it is. That is not Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal is to be the boss and Lord of your entire life. He wants full autonomy, full control. He wants you to sign over a power of attorney and go, Jesus, here's my blank piece of paper. Here's my blank check. My resources actually belong to you, and my story actually belongs to you. So in this moment, he's asking them, who do you say I am? And they're saying, you're the Christ. Off, I'm the Christ. Then let me tell you what what you need to know about that. Right. So this is is the take up your cross, follow him is a direct response to yeah. this. So now that we've all on the same page, we all think I'm the Christ. So what does that mean for those of you who've been following me the last two years or, you know, almost two years? What does that mean for you? Well, this is what it means for you then. And so I think he's he's asking them for a declaration that will be followed by a decision, yeah. right? Yeah. So so I think that's really important even when we get to the take up cross. That part really, really helps. So imagine this. After he does this, ask them, gets the declaration, you know, then he calls them to a decision, and then he's actually going to allow them to see him in the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. A few of them are actually going to see God in all of his glory, see him as what they probably pictured the Messiah to look like. Yeah. So so I think there's a nice little progression here. We just can't cover it all in one week. Yeah, and, and I do think, like, I'm thinking through that now and going, okay, so we can see that progression. Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say, say that I am? And then it's leading into, so therefore, mm-hmm. how does that, so that's the same implication for us, I believe, right? So God is kind of asking us, to answer that question, who do we say that he is? And therefore, in light of that response, how does that impact your life? Yeah, so this is, you know, one of the neat passages in Luke that he starts with is he he quotes the angels telling the shepherds that he's going to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Right. Only time you see all three of those, those, the scriptures show up in the same verse. And so that kind of sets the scene for this, that you can think about him as the Messiah, right? The Promised one, or this or, I'm sorry, Messiah or Christ, Savior and Lord. Or you can think of him as the Savior, the one who comes in and rescues, right? The one who is promised, the one who rescues, or the Lord, the one who's boss. But you have to, but that you can't pick and choose those. He can't yeah. just be Savior, yeah. right? He can't just be God's Son who was sent. And he can't just be the one who saves. The one that we tend to miss out on is Lord. Like, yeah. We can't call Jesus our Savior without calling him our Lord. Right. So it's either it's a both and or a neither nor. Yeah. It's a both and or neither nor. And so what he's asking them is, am I this? Okay, you say I'm the Christ, the, the God, right? So you're the Christ of God. So this is, I have always been the plan since Adam ate that fruit. Actually, since God hung the piece of fruit in the garden, you were always a plant. Right? Is that what I need to think about you, Jesus? Right? And so that's what this is that we have to see him as the providential plan of God yeah. to rescue this world from all of its brokenness. Which means if he is the providential plan of God to rescue the world from all of its brokenness, we probably need to be able to believe that and do what he says. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus don't go, okay, now that you got that, let me tell you what you should do with it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, you had said on Sunday that sometimes we separate. Um, and I'm just kind of curious to yeah. go a little bit deeper in what that looks like or how do we know if we're separating or not knowing if we're separating. Like you say, we separate the Lord from the Savior, right? Yeah. Like it's, okay, he's our Savior, but not really our yeah. Lord, or yeah. maybe he's our Lord, but not our Savior. Like w- what does that look like? How do we identify that? Yeah, maybe in our that's life? a good question. So I was like, well, I don't know that you could call him Lord and not Savior, but you can because that's kind of what legalism does, yeah. right? Okay, Jesus is God and he's the boss, so I'll do what he says, but I'm yeah. doing what he says because I think somehow I can earn my own salvation, right? right? right, right. So yeah, so you can separate the, the separate those things. And I think one of the, I mean, it just requires some pause yeah. and some emotional intelligence and maybe asking God to reveal those things. But what you, I mean, what I said on Sunday is there are some places you can look. Look at your calendar, hmm. like what's filling it up. Like even from the, he's Lord, but not Savior piece. Like are you doing whatever you can, like you're going to church all the time and giving money and doing all those things, but you're doing it because somehow you think that will make this God happy with you. You don't see him as your Savior, right? right? That you see yourself as your Savior. You just see him as the boss who's, you know, cracking a whip. That's not helpful, right? Or you see him as your Savior, get you out of hell, fire insurance, but you really are going, I haven't surrendered this part of my life. Yeah, I mean, I'm right. still looking at those things. I'm still spending my money that way. I'm still doing that to my kids or my spouse or lying about that and my mm. taxes or doing this on my job. That's not, you got to do those things because God will love you more. It's like Jesus is going, I'm the promised one and I have a promised plan. And if you want to get in on that plan and you want to enjoy what he's going to tell us in John 10, that he came to give us life to life to the fullest. This is not about behavior modification. This is about fulfillment in this life and eternal life and bringing the kingdom of heaven and earth. He's literally going, I am the only one who can make that plan work. So God has promised that he would make a way where there is no way and bring heaven to earth. He's promised that. And so Jesus is going, if if I'm actually that promise and you actually believe it and you really want access to that, the only way that you get access is through me as Lord, Savior, and Christ. So he's got to be all of it or none of it. There's just no no hokey pokey with how we serve God or worship God. And that's not to create some kind of angst. You'll mess it up, right? we got humanity dealing with God's divinity in us, and that will continue to bring up stuff and go, wow, I haven't surrendered that stuff yet. Let me give that to God. Wow, I haven't surrendered that stuff yet. Let yeah. me give that to God. That's actually what sanctification looks like. So this is, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1, um, because that's your spiritual or logical act of worship. So that's holy and pleasing to God. So that's a, a never-ending process that you're continuing to offer more of yourself because he's Lord to him. Oh, God, man, I didn't give my, I haven't trusted God with my finances. That's him. Oh, man, I've actually not trusted him with my marriage. That's him. Oh, I haven't trusted God with my parenting. So it's the continual bringing those things back to Christ. And then it says, and do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, right? Because you know, now believe these things, but be transformed by the renewing or renovation of your mind. So this isn't a place of arrival yet for us, but it is a place of surrender for us that we have to go. Yep. He's either all three or he's not. And I get, if he is, how I know that he is, well, it's pretty simple because Jesus is now going to give us a rubric to test yeah, that. Yeah. So continuing on. So Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Verse 21 says, and he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. And then I'll just read uh, 22 as well. It says, uh, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. Now we talked a little bit about, about this on Sunday, like, we've even talked about it as we're saying, you know, we, we talk about it. That's one of the, the things where we think about it, we talk about it, like yeah. it, it comes up. But Jesus is going, don't talk about it. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. 
Like, do you, is there anything more that you want to elaborate there? Yeah, so it's a hear about it, think about it, speak about it, but it's yeah. only speak about it with God's power and the transference of his power. Remember, we're the conduit. Yeah. This, is what, this is just gospel of Luke. We're just working through it. The whole goal is that God wants to send his power, love, and grace into us and then overflow out of us. New territory in us, then new territory through us. So the problem is, in order to do that, we need the resurrection power of the spirit of the living God. Yeah. Now, when does that get in... A, initiated at Jesus' death yeah. and burial and then resurrection, right? This is why it's so important. When Jesus came back to life in that day, he's not the only one. Like, there was like this zombie moment, like all over. There are people walking around. They're going, what's going on? Spirit of the living God has now just been released into this world. And then you're going to see kind of this get the soft opening there, right? Yeah. And then you're going to see the grand opening on Pentecost. They're going, what is this, yeah. right? Spirit of the living God. So he's going, not time to talk about it yet because you don't have the power. That's different than us because we're talking about this post-Jesus' death. And I shared yeah. on Sunday, but it really is funny. Like, So if you can imagine, like, in those little kids' plays that we used to do where there's the, ooh, ah, you know, like where the, like, the crowd says that when someone says something significant. And, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Right? That kind of stuff. So he's saying stuff like, at first, he's going to have to be suffer. And they'd be like, ah, oh, many things. And rejected by the elders. Ooh. And then. The chief priest inscribed, oh, and then killed. <gasps> you know, all these, like, massive things. And then he goes, and on the third day, he'll wake back up. What? You know, like, this isn't, like, this big crescendo. This is just confusing. Because yeah. they just, like, he's just, like, he's just waking back up. Like, then yeah. he's going to just stand up. What? You know, yeah, it's a, right. there is something significant, and they're not sure they fully understand yet. And they're going, okay, what does this mean? I understand, the, you know, punish, suffer, killed, denied, all those things. But this come back to life. And that's yeah. why it's really neat if you get all the way to the end of Luke. It's going to go, and then they remembered. What are they remembering? These things. Yeah. This teaching. Oh, it's the third day. Okay, now, 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 this is about to get activated. Yeah. So, yeah. pretty important there. Uh, so, kind of jumping into 23, which is where we get a couple different questions. And thanks for joining us, Mags. Glad that you're back with us. Um, 23 says this. It says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so I'm going to just pause there because he continues on, which I will get to. Um, we'll read through 27. Okay. Um, but this is kind of, this is a challenge, right? This is something that's difficult to do. I don't know if we talk through yeah. maybe the challenge or the hardship of that um, and then jump into the questions. Or yeah, like, let's do that for a second. Yeah. I have some thoughts. The first one I would tell you if you're listening, I just would circle this, highlight it, put exclamation points next to it. It's just the word daily. Yeah. It's just so neat. And so this has some... I don't think I don't know if there's illusion. It does for me of just what it tells us in Lamentations that His mercies are new every morning, yeah, right? Yeah. That's who God is, and that's so important because it doesn't say His mercies are new weekly yeah. or the day after you get you go to church or New Year's or on your birthday. And then it goes, His mercies are new every morning, and the only reason His mercies would need to be new every morning is because it's just so aware of how broken we are, right? That we need that forgiveness and grace daily. Yeah. So what I love about this is this is actually, it, it should help us battle shame and guilt and, mm. you know, brokenness in that there is a new opportunity every single day. And there's an implication that it requires us to think about this every single day because it's that hard. And if you know addicts that struggle with any kind of addiction, they will talk about the significance of not thinking long-term, only thinking short-term, right? They don't go... Like, I, like, they don't really think a whole bunch about being sober in a year. They think about being sober for the next 10 minutes and then the next hour, then the next 
24 hours. And so there's just something about this of just the awareness of their, you know, fallibility or uh, brokenness. And so this idea that it says daily is really, really important because there's just one of the things that I want to guard us from in this, and I've alluded to it a couple of times, is that there's just shame that comes up because we don't do a good job of this because we haven't surrendered all of our stuff, that we haven't trusted God fully. And God's going, hey, really good thing here is should take this up daily. Messed yeah. it up now, pick it back up. Yeah. Dropped it, wake back up in the morning, pick it back up. And so there's this there's this invitation every day to experience God and his yeah. goodness. But it does seem to imply that if you really want to enjoy him and come after him, that you have to do several things. And so this is why um, I shared this earlier. And so there's two different pieces of share here that um, in Semitic or Hebrew language, according to Tim Keller, that the first sentence in the paragraph kind of is then expounded on in the following sentences. Okay. So verse 24 and 25 and 26 and 27 are kind of uh, highlighting and pointing back to verse 23. Okay. But I would say even in verse 23, the first statement, anybody come after me, right? If you want to come after me, now let me highlight how you do that. Deny yourself, take your cross, and follow. So even that is going, hey, Jesus is... Don't miss the invitation that you get to go with Jesus, that he's inviting them in. That's the real story. And you go, well, how do I get in that? Okay, let, let him expound on it. And then let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. So the way that you really get to experience Jesus as Lord is somehow following him by denying yourself and taking up your cross. And we did get to spend a lot of time on that because we kind of took the, the, the remaining verses go. They highlight this. So let's talk about gain, lose. But it's probably worthwhile park it here and going, okay, what does it mean to yeah. take up your cross? Yeah, I feel like even now as we're reading through that, I'm, I'm just reminded yesterday we were talking about a, a passage um, in that discipleship yeah. group that I'm a part of as well. Um, that it, I think a lot of times uh, I've looked at my relationship with, with Christ as a transference of power, right? Yeah. Like God gives me his power, but here I'm seeing it again where he says, follow me. It's not me receiving the power. It's about him having the power and I have access to him. Yeah, yeah. So and you're walking huge. with him. It's not, yeah. He's not saying you go someplace. Yeah. He's going, you're just going where I've already been. Yeah. You're just going where I'm just walking. So That's just, right. Yeah, so he's, like, if you think about it, like a Peloton, not the, the you know, the, the expensive bike with the terrible commercials, but, like, the actual idea of a Peloton is it's a group on a team yeah. biking, and the whole idea is you stay in right behind the other where the person in front of you yeah. is blocking the wind. So the further you get back in that, the easier the walk is. And so yeah. it kind of is that going, Jesus is going, I'm I'm preparing that way. Mm. I'm going that way. I'm just asking you to follow where I am already going. So if, with that understanding, going, we're just following where he's going. But where is he going? Yeah. Well, he just told us he's going to suffer. He's going to, you know, be punished and he's going to die. And then he's going to be resurrected, which means if that's where he's going, that certainly seems to be where we're following him. Yeah. So we got to figure out what that means. Yeah. So jumping into the two questions that we have uh, around 923, um, this is a different translation, but the question is kind of regarding uh, the vernacular here, right? So it says, Jesus is quoted as saying, take up your cross in Luke 923. That's in the NLT uh, version. Yeah. Um, but did he really say those words or did he say something um, like we interpret like that that we interpret today as taking up the cross. I always assumed that taking up the cross became an important symbol of accepting a terrible burden when Jesus was crucified. I assumed it became part of the the lexicon after Simon of Cree helped Jesus carry the cross to his crucifixion. Certainly, crucifixion was well known as a horrific means of execution in biblical times. But was this phrase part of the common language of the time? Good question. Um, so here's a here's a hack 
for those of you trying to learn more about scriptures, and it's what I do every single time. So in my master's or uh, doctorate program, I did not study Hebrew or Greek. It just wasn't a part of it. I, I was very intrigued by the study of the scriptures, and so I had a master's in theological studies. Okay, how do you actually read and understand the scripture? So I didn't study Hebrew or Greek, but I did learn to really handle lexicons and tools to help do that. And then doctoral work, I was all going, how do we actually apply leadership principles in this? So the way that I teach is I'll grab a passage, and I'll always, and I think I've shared this before, I'm always kind of working through the same kind of thing of going, God, what do you want to say? Why do you want to say it? What do you want people to do? Why do you want to do it? When I'm saying that, I'm going in light of the text. So for me to better understand the text, what I do is I, I go verse by verse, and I do it the same every time. So, for example, Luke 9.23, I would Google, Google. I'd just go on the Internet and Google Luke 9.23, and then I'd type the word lexicon, L-E-X-I-C-O-N, and then I'd hit search. The first one every time is going to be Bible Hub Lexicon. And so when you click on that, what it is, it actually shows you, I think it's New American Standard Version, uh, the language that is in the New American Standard Version, which is similar to where we get the ESV. And then, uh, uh, by that I mean a word-by-word -word translation. And then it shows the Greek next to it. So uh, so uh, as I you know studied this, I'm going to read that. It's Luke 9.23, I, I, would, I would think. Is going to point out that the word cross is exactly that, the cross. So literally Jesus is saying you take up the cross. And when he's talking about the cross, he's talking about the bar that goes on top of the T for a Roman cross. So a Roman cross that would have probably happened and have just a, a big post going straight up. It was used for everyone, all the time, everyone. They were just big, massive posts that people were hung on. Now there is some confusion about whether or not they hung it at the very top of it, like the T, or if it was towards the middle. I don't know. Um, seems like for engineering, it make the most sense sitting on the top, right? But I don't have a clue. But then there would be a bar that would be strapped to the folks when they were punished because it wasn't just capital punishment in terms of your death. There was a gruesome, flogging, painful thing that happened beforehand. Then they would have strapped that cross on them, and then they would have to have carried it kind of on the other, kind of as like in front of the crowd. This was a declaration that you don't, you shouldn't do what they did because there's a punishment for you. So this was a walk of shame. And so that beam would have been referred to as taking up your cross, meaning you are going to be put to shame, be embarrassed, humiliated, killed, whatever that is. And so that term literally is just that. But the Romans and the Greeks and the Hebrews, all the Jews were to recognize that term as the, the worst form of punishment that could happen to a human that brought real shame. Now, when we think about the word shame, we're going to get to it. Where it says, I'm not ashamed. That's how Paul says it. And then uh, in verse uh, 26, forever is ashamed. That word of shame literally means that you've made a grave error because you've attached yourself to the wrong thing. So a criminal would have been brought to shame. He would have been ashamed because he would have made the grave error of thinking that those things, stealing that thing, having that thing, killing that person would be the thing that would make them feel better, have what they want. But it's actually the, a huge error because they attached yourself to the wrong place. And so when we think about that, this is, this is common Law and justice language for these folks of going, there is a punishment for bad behavior, but this is weird because you're saying that I'm going to have to suffer for my behavior. So my suffering because I have bad behavior or because I have good behavior, right? Mm -hmm. They would have gone to this and gone, what in the world does it mean to take up my cross? They would have understood the piece of shame and suffering. 
So they got to now wrestle through what is it that they're actually talking about in terms of shame and suffering. Now, Jesus is alluding to something he's going to do. So he's sharing them, sharing something to them that is a mystery at that moment, but kind of opens up for us yeah. and for them right after his death and resurrection. <coughs> Sorry. So when Jesus is carrying that cross, <coughs> I imagine that triggers for them as they see him carrying it, that moment where Jesus says, you have to follow me and take up your cross. Now for them in that moment, like Peter, they're probably thinking, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Right. And Jesus is prepared him and going, you're going to, that you're going to deny this. And he goes, I'll never deny you. And then he sees it face to face. And he goes, I don't want to do that. Is that mm. what is being promised to me? That I'm going to be nailed to a cross. It was mm. for the first century disciples. But I'm not telling you that. You read through the book of Hebrews, and there are times that people had great moments of faith. And there are other times that people were fed to the mouths of lions. So what <laughs> I think you got to understand in this is you are surrendering your future to Christ and going, I trust that you yeah. and your plans are far beyond whatever mine are. Yeah. So when he's saying, uh, take up your cross, it actually is led with, first, let him deny himself, mm. meaning you can no longer put hope in your own things. And so what it certainly seems like I'm saying, and it's just my opinion, is that Jesus is saying, hey, what you think is that that person, that thing, that job, that house, that spouse, that kid is going to be the thing that's going to make you fully alive. But that's not going to be the thing. And you're going to have to deny that that is where you put your hope over and over again. Every single day, you got to go, that is not where I put my hope. And you got to put that dream, that that thing was going to be the thing that was going to save you, you got to put it to death. You got to deny that that's where your hope comes from. It's not that bottle. It's not that bank account. It's not that job. So you deny yourself. You stop breathing from that tank because it will actually suffocate you. You have to deny yourself, deny the pleasures of this world, and think those are the things that satisfy. And instead, you got to carry this with me and walk because there's a better way to live. And at that point, they're going, oh no, what does this mean? Am I going to die? Right? And then Jesus is going to offer them some hope because that would have been a moment of a lot of pressure. Sorry, I couldn't cover it in more detail then, but that that moment would have been a lot of pressure. But then he's going to offer them, let me tell you what this looks like if you choose to do this. So verse 24 is actually still helping highlight and, you know, color in that statement of you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross, and you got to follow me. Yeah, I feel like you just answered this question, yeah. so I don't think we have to repeat okay. that. But, but the question was, what does it look like? Um, so, what role does taking up your cross daily play in following Jesus? Practically speaking, what would this look like in Southern Chester County? And I think you just answered that. Yeah, but I don't mind answering it a little okay. bit more. In that, I actually think it's worse for us, as bad, probably worse for us than it was. And yes, there was this Roman regime. It's going to get really bad for the disciples. But at that moment, it's probably hard for them to understand any of those things. And we just die a thousand deaths weekly in the things that we put our hope in, right? And that's why the news overwhelms us so much mm. because we've put our hope in our nation. We put our hope in our health, put our hope in our kids, put our hope in our jobs. We put our hope in our marriage and daily. We're just seeing it all around us. Those things are devastating. But just, I mean, we were devastated talking in staff today about just the suicide rates, particularly for teenagers. And what that is, is that is a false hope that they've put into whatever it is, their identity, this world, their education. And people come over and over again to a place where those things do not satisfy. So the problem is 
for many of us, we live a life that's pretty satisfactory. We like our houses. We like our pools. I'm speaking personally. We like our cars. We like our closets. And so this idea that we have to constantly remind ourselves that those things are not the things that satisfy us. And you're going, how do I do it practically? You're not going to like this, but it's through generosity. Hmm. It's absolutely through generosity. It's through giving away the stuff that is excess, giving away the grace that God's given to you in life. He says, because I have been so gracious to you, you should be gracious to one another. He tells Abram that he's going to make him the father of the nation, make him Abraham, and he's going to be a blessing. He's going to bless Abraham. But then he offers the qualifier so that you will be a blessing. Hmm. The way that we take up our cross is we actually serve as conduits to the blessings of God's life and we distribute them. Yeah. So the taking of the cross means we surrender our finances. We surrender our homes. Not that you're selling your home, but boy, if you're going to wait, how does this work for the kingdom? How do I participate in the kingdom life with everything God's given me? And we do a fearless, moral, and physical inventory of the things we have and go, why has God given us these things? And the answer has to be for the kingdom. And whatever is not for the kingdom is the stuff that we got to deny and give away or throw away are destroyed. And that doesn't sound fun, but I do think that where this is is in generosity. And we know this. We know this practically because you don't have to be a Christian to know this. When you go to a funeral, everybody, nobody talks about the things that people had. Nobody goes, man, they had a really nice house. Boy, they had a nice pool. Man, they had that beach house, right? Unless they shared that beach house. And they're going, they had this beautiful place that they would just make available. They had this awesome car that they let me drive, right? That's the only time. You see, what we talk about at funerals is what people gave away, not what they gained. And so we know that. We know that. And so how do you take up your cross? Did you wake up every day and go, God, what have you given me that you want me to give away today? And how do I use these things? That's my time. That's my energy. That's my education. That's my experience. That's my money. That's my clothes. What do you want me to give away today yeah. that I put hope in that actually only belongs to you? So not fun, but I think helpful. Uh, there's another same listener had asked or made an observation, but with a question. So since Peter, John, and James literally saw Jesus in a transformed state, that's a transfiguration, which we'll actually be yeah. getting to this coming week. Um, it says right after he said, uh, some would not die until they had seen the kingdom of God. Might it be that seeing the glorified Jesus is better fulfillment than having internal feelings of joy and peace? Absolutely, wholeheartedly, great observation. I actually was writing for the quarterly newsletter that you guys will get, and I just listed just the drama in my life, like, you know, ambulance rides, bicycle wrecks, chaos, you know, financial, all sorts. I mean, it's, it has been, like, and if you do the bullet points of last month, just a crazy month that I could just whine and complain about. But I kid you not, like this has been the very, very best year of my life. And I'm talking about head and shoulders better than anything else I've ever experienced, ever. And yet there's still the, the chaos. Why? Because I'm hearing and seeing and experiencing God. So experientially, wholeheartedly would agree. Biblically, David actually says, God better is one day in your court than thousands elsewhere. Yeah. Like thousands else. I just repeated again because Matt Redman did in the song, Better's One Day. But like, like, so yes, there's this real thing of going, that sounds really hard to be generous. That sounds really hard to take up your cross. But it's not when you see and experience the living God. John the Revelator was boiled alive and sent to an island by himself. But then you see so much joy in his writing and he says he was with this he was with the lord on the lord's day like god gave him the gift of his presence and that was enough and so the reason this seems so overwhelming is because we 
I don't think we've actually really tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And the scriptures say that we can taste and see it, meaning we can actually feel and this with our real senses. And so I think that's where this white hot committed faith committed to the cause comes from is this real experience with God. So yes, and that's how gracious God is, right? So they make the Peter makes this declaration and within, I don't know, 24 hours, 36 hours, 48, 72, God actually goes ahead and gives them a glimpse of that. He goes, here's what I want you to do. Peter, you've said this. Now let me just give you a glimpse of this so that it will be the thing that satisfies and sustains you. So the fuel comes from obeying the Lord and seeing him in it. So that's where I go. Just lean in. Lean in. Lean in every time. Be generous every single time because I think that's where we're going to see the Lord. So yes, great observation. I know people, you know, I walked with Annette Lewin as she was dying and she would remind me over and over again that she was good. She was good. And I didn't understand it at the time. And maybe maybe that gift came, has come for me post her, her funeral of just being able to say over and over again that God is still God and he is still good. And I saw that and it was evidenced in her life. And so I just think for her being with and knowing and experiencing the peace that comes from God uh, was far better than the pain and sorrow that she wrestled through at the end of her life. Uh, just looking at time, I want to read 24 through 27 quickly yeah. and then give you Thank the opportunity you. if you want to talk about Ezekiel. But kind of the, again, these kind of highlight really 23. So 24 says, uh, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And that's where you're talking yeah. about different life or different tank. I want to get yeah. this right. Um, it doesn't a make Different tank, sense. different breath, different life, different death. Once so, you get the tank, it gets easy. But that yeah. first thing, what different tank? <laughs> 25, for uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Yeah. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in, in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Yes, yeah, so I've really been wrestling through, God, where do I do this? Like, And to be honest with you, like, it gets hard because it's like, oh, I don't put my hope in those sinful things. That's one of the things I think now. Like, I don't look at that. I don't drink that. I don't say that. I don't take – like, I just – like, from the outside looking in, like, I'm like, ah, oh, my life doesn't really have any secret sin in it, right? Yeah. Then I think, and I'm going, no, 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 Lord, there's something. Like, so I literally just go through a sin with God and going, where is it, Lord? Where is it? Like, I, oh, I'm ready for it. Like, just – Okay, just give it to me. Give it to me straight. Right now, God, just pull off the Band-Aid and expose whatever it is. And I felt like he said to me, Josh, I don't know why we keep doing this. Like, I keep telling you what it is. And you keep searching for something else and your weird introspection. And I know it. I've known it for a decade. My little God is self-reliance. It's just self-reliance. Like, I am so convinced that I'm going to see God move when I finally stop relying on myself for the move, right? Just self-reliance is... So, that's why I love that it says, whoever tries, who would save his life, whoever tries to save his life will lose it. In other words, it's an implication in our arrogance that thinks somehow we can earn it or do it. Yeah. This isn't that... I don't think this is as much of the call of what you attach yourself to sin or whatever it is. This is this belief that there's something about ourselves that can perform well enough, do well enough, find well enough that we can find that satisfaction. And Jesus goes... Here's the bad news. If you live in that self-reliant world, when you attach your oxygen tank to your own lungs mm-hmm. and those actually stop offering air to you, you will suffocate, right? There is this moment that you have to go, this is not enough that will sustain me. It definitely won't sustain you forever. We know that about our own lives. We know that at some point, all of our lungs stop breathing air. 
We know that. And so Jesus is going, look, look, that whoever's trying to save this thing is actually the ones that are going to lose it. But if you just go, it's all a gift. It's all God's. It's not mine. I'm not the one earning it. God, it's all yours. May I be a conduit that this stuff flows through. He goes, those of you who do that, who don't contain and like build this dam up where you get all the stuff in and then let the junk fall out of the dam, but you get all the good water, right? Those of you that don't do that, listen, you will actually see and experience real life. So any of you trying to save it, you actually lose it. And that it they're talking about is life. And why I love the idea of breath is because that word life literally, and I told you at the beginning, is the word suitcase. It's not like your body. It's like your very being that points directly to your breath. And so it's just like, where what air are you breathing in? Are you breathing in your own oxygen? Are you breathing in the nasty, polluted oxygen of this world? Are you allowing the oxygen from the Spirit of the living God straight from heaven to be poured into us? And that, 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 when we start breathing that in, when we deny ourselves the other stuff, when we cut off those tanks and then allow it to go through. And yes, there might be some starvation. Yes, there might be some suffering going, ah, that man, that feels really uncomfortable because I used to really like that thing. That was the thing I ran to. And instead, start breathing in the breath of God. I'm convinced that that's where we'll see him and experience him and be really, really committed to him. So, and that's why I really like the the, the oxygen analogy. Yeah. Amazon didn't get it on time. Thankfully, Lori Schaefer is able to track one down for me on Sunday morning. But that's what what that was for. Yeah. And then it goes for what does it profit a man? Like I don't I don't know that I'll get to Ezekiel. Yeah, I won't get to Ezekiel thirty seven. Other than uh, God led me there, and I just think there's something uh, really significant about what I think God's doing in our church's life. Definitely in my life, where it comes to it's starting to speak the truth of who Jesus is and his word and his name and his salvation over us. And so I just feel like God is going, Josh, like keep, you got to keep declaring this, keep reminding people that it's his breath that fills our lungs. It's his. Like, so just, I love the imagery that he gave uh, to Ezekiel. And I shared with staff today that after the Ezekiel passage this week, I was led to uh, Zechariah 4.10 and it says, don't despise the little beginnings. And that's so weird because I really despise little beginnings. I want to see big things. I'm going, God, there's something in my soul that's happening. It's happening. It's happening in my family. But I'm not seeing it in the fullness of what I think we're going to see at the church. Like, I just know that. Why is it not there yet? And I just feel like it was for me. And, it, and, and he says, don't despise the small beginnings. God rejoices in the beginning of the work. God rejoices in the uh, the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And what's so interesting is I share with you about Ezekiel 37 this idea that there's this promise that Babylon, the culture, was going to take over. We know what that's like right now, guys. It certainly seems like we've lost a cultural war, war right? And it's a mess. It's a mess. And so it seems like they're, it's just going to take over. And then there's this promise that God was going to speak life back into it. And I'm going, oh, and that's what Ezekiel was doing, speaking life back into it. But then when you see it actually play out, when Babylon takes over Jerusalem and destroys it and the temple... It eventually gets rebuilt. And the way that it gets rebuilt is actually by this king, Zerubbabel. And he actually grabs a plumb line and starts running it, figuring out where the plans are, and he starts putting them back together brick by brick. That's what he does. And it says, God started rejoicing as he began the work, not as the work was finished. And so I just would say, wherever you're at on the journey, for every breath you breathe of the Holy Spirit into your life that was a breath you breathed from this world, I wholeheartedly believe God is rejoicing. Don't despise that small beginning. Like, mm. I wholeheartedly believe it. Believe that he's going, oh, good job. Way to go, Josh. Way to go, CLC. I see it. I see you 
taking these deep breaths of my love and then exhaling them. So keep doing the little work. And I wholeheartedly believe that we're going to see some radical re reversal and radical restoration as we continue to do the little work. But don't despise the little work. Really, really important time that we're in, which is I just love what Jesus offers because he just so profound and yet so logical and he does finish with that passage where he says um uh for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself and um I, that's a it's a really great logical thought but it's also really a promise that as we continue to try to gain this world and find our hope in this world and some days it really will satisfy the one of the biggest lies is that sin is not fun. Oh, it is sometimes. It is fun. It's really fun until it's not. Yeah. It's just really fun until it's not. People wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. It's really fun until it's not. And if you're smart enough to play the tape through or if you've had a lot of life experience, you know where it transitions from really fun to when it's not. And so Jesus is just offering, what good does it do to chase those things and then forfeit who you are in your own identity, right? The, the himself that is not the soul. It's not the same as a suke. And so he's going, hey, hey, there's a better way to live. And so where does it start? Deep breaths. Where does it go? Real generosity. Where does it end with the kingdom of heaven present in our lives and around us? And so just would challenge you, what good does it do to continue to do those things, even if it's fun for the while, because it won't be at some point. And forfeit this instead. Go ahead and surrender it. And watch God give you a really, really good life. So that's how we'll conclude today. Yeah, just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Really hope that you're challenged and encouraged by this. Um, as always, what we want to encourage you to do is if you have any questions, um, whether it's something that we talked about on Sunday or just questions in general, please feel free to email us. I think that there was an email that I got today that I didn't quite get to get through, um, but I will actually we'll get to that next week. So I promise we'll we'll get to that one. Um, yeah, so please email us overtime at clcfamily.church. You can text us 610-869-2140. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Always love when you guys are part of that. Asking questions gives us um, a way to kind of produce it, if you will. Yeah. It gives us kind of a, a direction. Um, love talking about this. Hope you're challenging, Kurt. So hope you have a blessed week. We hope to see you on Sunday. And, yeah, check out that Discord.